Welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. My name is John McGee. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, friends, welcome back. We are going to do part two of how to thrive at Watermark, and hopefully we'll give you some really good kind of leadership principles, some things you can take ground in. Caitlin is still here, still with her Hello. sparkly It's not star- sparkly. It's, it's not sparkly. just stars. It's just stars. A there sweater is with no, stars. it's not bedazzled. <laughs> I am not 12. Did you Have you ever bedazzled anything? When I was 12? I believe you have. I, yeah. Do you, have you, do you still have any of it? Maybe. I bet I do. Okay, I bet so I do somewhere. We don't ever talk about wardrobes in here, but while we're here, you're wearing glasses. I am wearing glasses today, which, which is not on brand for me. It's very off brand. You have a brand. You have your own personal brand. We all do. You, whether do you we? do, uh, you absolutely do. Okay, I'm just not sir. aware of mine. Apparently you are yeah. of yours. Why are you wearing glasses? Because I was, it is a Wednesday afternoon that we were recording this folks. And on Monday night in the middle of my bar class, B-A-R-R-E, which is a type of exercise that you do at a ballet bar. I had an allergic reaction to something. And by the time I drove home, which was 20 minutes later, my eyes were bloodshot and starting to swell shut. My roommate was very confused. And then the next morning, my eyes were so swollen. So I had to go to the doctor, get medicine. But I, I'm, I'm in glasses for the next couple of days. That's why I'm in glasses. <laughs> I'm not mocking your pain or the fact that your eyes were swollen. It just... That's funny to me that it happened in, the in, bar class? in a in a ballet class. You had an yeah, allergic reaction. It can happen anywhere. Apparently. I have no idea to what. It was terrible. Paul and Cat in Dallas was terrible. That's it's probably true. In, in early March. Oof. Tough. So you're like in the middle of a stretch and all of a sudden you start sneezing. What? I was sneezing, but I, I didn't. It was just mostly like my eyes started to really itch and then they got really red. It was at the end of the class. So. I left for a second and then was able to come back in. But by the time I got home, I was suffering. I love that you said your roommate was confused. She was. She was like, are you okay? And have you been crying? And I said, I'm feeling great, except for my eyes are swelling. Just got out of ballet class. Just got out. Okay. We are picking up this list of 10 things. Caitlin did a talk on uh, persuasion, which was brilliant, really funny, really well done. Then the next month, I gave a talk on how to thrive at Watermark. And it was 10 things that will mark you here at Watermark, but we don't often talk about. There's some biggies that we talk about, but these are the kinds of things that will make a difference in how people perceive you, type of leadership opportunities that you're given, and kind of your standing in the organization. And uh, it just really, that, that I think would also help uh, help you become who it was that God intended you to become. So this was a list of 10 that we shared uh, with the staff. We had some uh, different people that we also encouraged along the way that said, man, these people in, embody this. So let's keep going. Good. Okay. So this sixth point that uh, that we shared with the staff was that if you want to distinguish yourself, you learn how to follow through. You follow through. And there is such a marked difference between someone on our staff who just is relentlessly following through and someone who says, you know, I'll get to that. I'll probably do that. It's going to take me a little bit. And the person I think of that embodies this most, many, many people, but Holly Carpenter, who runs our Church Leaders Conference that is coming up very, very soon. And you, Caitlin, will be on the main platform giving a talk. We're excited about it. Are you, are you ready for it? Could you give it right now? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so she and David Penuel <laughs> will do a uh, talk that I, I think will, will be a real highlight uh, for many. I'm really, really excited about it. But Holly, Holly leads the conference, puts it all together, and anytime I'm on a a project with Holly, it, it goes the same way. Uh, we sit down, we talk for, you know, 5, 10, 15, 30 minutes about the project. You know, oftentimes it's an event. And what will happen, like almost immediately, things will start showing up in my inbox. And it is a, it's a schedule. 
of what it would mm-hmm. look like with some dates. It is a folder system on where to put things. It is next steps and also meetings that need to happen. This like relentless follow through and execution. And then that, that marks her all the way through the project or really anything you give Holly to do. She's just on it. And so then as I'm on her team, I never have to worry about mm-hmm. anything that's on Holly's plate. I have all this mental energy now to think about something else. And so Holly, we watched Holly come come in uh, the organization and get a promotion. And I would say this is, this is one of the primary reasons uh, why was because she just followed through and would just get stuff done in a way that was such a blessing to me. And I think about, you know, Colossians 3.23. It, it's, a, it's a concept that comes up uh, in Ecclesiastes and el- elsewhere. But whatever is in front of you, like whatever it is that you're doing, like you do it with everything you have and you do it as unto the Lord. And that's what I'm talking about when I think about kind of follow through and execution. I think if you want a surefire way to win favor with your boss, make their life easier. Yeah. And that's a way to do it is to follow through and to just know, uh, you're going to catch this ball if I toss it to you. There are fewer things more frustrating than, or just exhausting as a leader than having to follow up on assignments that you've already briefed people on. Yeah. If you've done your job, hopefully you've briefed them well. And that's part of being a leader is following up. But when you have somebody that always catches the ball, that really distinguishes them. Absolutely. So you should kind of make it a, you know, a bit of a mantra. If it's given to you to do, don't ever let someone else need to follow up with you, put it on their to-do list or put it on this mm-hmm. kind of reminder list. Like you have got it. And if it's not completed, that you communicate, you know, back in some type of, you know, systematic way of here's here's the update. You don't have to worry about the update because I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it to you. And so you model that and then what will happen is it becomes a bit contagious. That's what it looks like to be around you is to get stuff done, to follow through, and you really, really can uh, distinguish yourself uh, around here. So that was point number six. Caitlin, what about number seven? Number seven is make stuff better. So do not be okay with status quo. Seek to improve anything or everything that comes across your plate. Consistently seek feedback on the projects that you're working on in order to make them better. So one of my favorite examples of this is one of the women who works with me um, named Tristan Laser is she's in charge of what we call the Watermark News, which is our weekly bulletin. And she has been running with it. It's a it's a huge task to do every single week. And she produces a, an amazing high quality product every single week. She has a testimony every single week, tons of ministry announcements that she coordinates. So it's a, it's a gargantuan task. And in the middle of that already gargantuan task with a whole lot of eyeballs on that, right? So mm-hmm. thousands are handed out every week. Everyone's got an opinion. She came to us and said, hey, I think I think there's a way that we can make this more effective and efficient. And she pitched a new concept that was actually able to save Watermark thousands of dollars because of the way that we laid it out and printed it. And I think was a more effective communication piece overall. And she wasn't afraid, even though the stakes were I'll say higher because that is a more public thing, right? Your bulletin, everybody sees that on a weekly basis. She wasn't afraid to pitch something new to make her product better. And I was so impressed by that and so encouraged by that. And so that, that always will stand out to me if they're not afraid to challenge the status quo. Yeah. You know, it occurs to me that I think one of the easiest ways to do this is to get feedback on whatever it is that you are mm-hmm. working on. And I, I think about Emma Dotter, who sits in this uh, room. She does our Join the Journey podcast. Mm-hmm. And she is like relentless about kind of mining for and asking for feedback. And I listened to some of her very first episodes and I listened to a recent one 
And I just thought, well, way to go, Emma. Like you have gotten better at your craft. And it's because she has really looked for feedback. So in regards to feedback, uh, talk about the dailies and talk about what your team does around that. Our creative team. So we have a concept called dailies, which we borrowed from Pixar which is essentially, it used to be every day of the week, but it's actually three times a week. So it's not really dailies, but we still call it dailies. Every day we get together in a conference room and we review creative work between the creatives and the communications coordinators who kind of work with the ministry clients and then our creative director. And we get live input and creative direction in front of almost the entire team, whoever happens to be there. So sometimes there are 10 people in there. Sometimes there are 15. Sometimes there are seven, just depending on what projects we're working on. But we give live creative direction in front of other people on a specific project. And at first that was really uncomfortable because if you can imagine a graphic designer getting live creative feedback on their work in front of all the other graphic designers, in front of everybody else on the team. That's really vulnerable. But what it did is it helped us create common language around what excellence looks like and learn how each other thinks. When the more you see the type of feedback that you get, it's like it helps you create better the next time. And it's an awesome cycle. So getting that level and it happens so regularly. And when you have a feedback cycle that happens so regularly, you get really comfortable with really hard feedback. Yes. And that's that's also a skill you develop thick skin to the types of feedback that you get. So it's really helped the culture of our team in terms of feedback, having a regular cadence. You might not be able to do dailies, but a regular cadence of feedback is so important to, to just cultivating that. Yeah, that's good. So it's obviously the things that you're working on. So in this instance, presenting your work, help guys help me make it better. But it's also just making everything better. And you want to distinguish yourself. You want to pop. You want to add a lot of value to your organization. You just make stuff better that doesn't even pertain to your area. Now you do so, you don't come into someone's area and say, you know, I I don't think you're doing very well. We could do a whole lot of better, but have you thought about, I saw this, I thought of you, I wondered if we could, I noticed that. Mm -hmm. And in in a respectful way that's solution oriented, uh, you become known as someone who makes stuff better and you will pop and you will add a lot of value and it will be, uh, as you said in the first episode, Caitlin, kind of your X factor. So mm-hmm. let's keep going. Number eight uh, that we shared with the staff is understand your boss's priorities. Understanding your boss's priorities. And, and by that, I mean that, of course, you have the things that are on your list, the things that are your priorities. But if you really want to distinguish yourself, you help your boss. You said it uh, just a few minutes ago, Caitlin, you make your boss's life easier. You help them where they are stuck or where they just need an extra hand. And that that is the kind of person that you want uh, on your team. That's a person that you want to have meetings with because you know as, as a boss that they're going to ask you, how can they, how can they help mm-hmm. you? Which is such a great question. Anytime you meet with someone, well, both your peers and also those that you report to, is there anything you're working on that I can help you with? Are you stuck anywhere uh, that I could help you with? Is there any information that you're looking for that I could go find for you? And you just serve your boss rather than just coming to them with, uh, this is what's broken, I need your help, or this isn't working, mm-hmm. uh, hold my hand, fix these, fix these things. There's a, there's a time and place for all of that. But if you really, really uh, want to distinguish yourself, you understand your boss's priorities, and then you help them uh, accomplish their priorities. I think the other aspect of that is just realizing that your boss has a boss or that your boss is also accountable to other people. And I think sometimes we can forget that. And so just thinking about that dynamic, what are the, you know, the goals my boss is being held accountable to, right? And that will help you help them, right? 
Yes. Practically how we've done that around here the last year or two at Watermark is our elders have unveiled four strategic priorities that really guide decision making across our entire church. And it's fun to see how admins and coordinators who steward those elder priorities really well have really latched onto that. And they've gone, hey, my not only my boss, but actually the elders of our church here, the four things they care about and how can they execute against those pieces. And, and that's also been a great way for people to really distinguish their problem solving skills and that sort of thing when they've been able to, to execute against the elders priorities. Yeah, it's really good. Okay. So that was number eight. Understand your boss's priority. How about number nine? Number nine is be a stress Deamplifier. Amen. Every boss in the in listening to this has said amen. <laughs> That's that looks like staying calm during times of stress or uncertainty, helping others stay calm, believing it will work out, maybe even seeing opportunity when other people see challenges. So that the two things I think about when you are a stress deamplifier is you really show yourself when you respond to change or when you respond to challenges. Yes. So let's start with change. Everybody metabolizes change differently. But I think that when I come to my team and I'm explaining a change that's going to affect them, what really blesses me is their body language. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. really blesses me is when they don't, you know, shut down, when they don't have an an overwhelmed look on their face, they're just calmly taking in the information. And their first response is not to see what's wrong, it's to see what what works. So that that moment when your boss brings to you something that's going to change is a critical moment for you to really distinguish yourself and to really bless them. Look at your body language, and then I would also shoot for optimism. That's so good. It It is amazing how some moments are inordinately important. Absolutely. So you could have, you know, uh, let's say you there was four weeks that you were doing your work, your ministry, and they were 40, 50 hours a week, and you had, you know, a total um, of 200 hours. And you, you did great. You did great for 99.9% of that time. That's a, that's a lot of time. You're doing a great job. Everyone's pleased. You know, you're getting really good feedback. And something happens that's a bit of a curveball. Mm-hmm. And you lose it. It undoes all of the the great work that you did because now you're characterized as somebody who loses it when times get tough, mm-hmm. or is really now part of the problem, not the solution. And then conversely, you know, you, let's say you did you know a really good job, and there was lots of things you should have been remembered for uh, during that month, and some curveball came, and everybody was freaking out. Everyone said, well, this is the end, you know, we're going to have to shut this place down because such and such happened. And you, you had the audacity to kind of sit up straight and go, guys, we are going to find a solution to this. Mm -hmm. And and what, what if we didn't just find a solution, but what if we actually found something that would make all of this even better? Like, can we imagine a scenario where six months from now we look back and we're actually grateful you do that and there are miles uh, miles uh, of differentiation between you and the person who either A, was paralyzed, or B, at worst, really kind of reacted negatively. You will distinguish yourself. And this is this is something that can be learned. It's something that has to be decided, I think, ahead of time. You have to decide the next time one of these comes, what is it you're going to do to mm-hmm. press play? But we see it around here. Those, those who thrive in times of stress or challenge they really do distinguish themselves. I think the concept you talked about of being a problem solver versus just a problem finder is really important in moments of stress. Every manager since the history of time has preferred to manage somebody who's a problem solver rather than just a problem finder. And so in moments of stress, 
don't see everything that could go wrong, although that's important yep. to know the yep. downside, I would start with where is the opportunity? How can I respond calmly and strategically? And then don't be afraid to bring in downsides. But man, if you package it the right way, you're just going to get a lot less resistance. Yeah, that's good. And one of, one of the phrases I'll say sometimes uh, is how can we turn this into a win? How, mm-hmm. how can we feel proud of this moment, of these times? How can we serve others better because of the way that we move uh, through this? So that would be number nine, uh, be a stress de-amplifier. And so, Caitlin, bring us home. Number 10. Okay, number 10 is play team ball. Which I love you got the sports one. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Have you seen what I'm wearing today? I'm wearing a, a it's an all-star. star. It's, it's an all-star. It's an all-star sweater. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. Giant play team ball. Sweater. I interrupted play you. Number ball. 10. This looks like not building silos. This looks like thinking ours, not mine. Yes. Being willing to lose so other people can win. That could look like you're giving up space or your staff or your energy so that others can can have those things so that the ministry can ultimately move forward and celebrating the wins of other people, even if they're other people that are on other teams completely looking for you, being a team player. I think an aspect of this is learning how to collaborate. I think collaboration is a skill. Truly, I think it's a skill that can be learned and you have to work on it. So if you are not characterized by being collaborative with others or being good at collaboration with others, you might think about this as being one that you want to work on. So a way to do that is to essentially build in time planning on how you want to collaborate effectively and anticipate the needs of other teams. Make it your job to understand how other teams work yeah, and to make their jobs easier. That will go so far and build so much trust with you if you learn how to collaborate really, really well because you play team ball. That's good. So many points you made there, Caitlin. One about just kind of you know being up to speed on what other people are doing. Jeff Ward embodies that. Jeff was on a recent uh, podcast about managing your emotions. And I think he could tell you, literally, he could do a PowerPoint presentation about every area in this church. Oh, I believe it. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, his, his interest in what everyone's doing. He doesn't, he doesn't meddle. He's not, you know, trying to tell you what to do, but he just cares. And he adds so much value then because he can connect uh, a lot of things. You will have to, in an organization, especially in a nonprofit organization where there's just a limitation Limited, on, yeah. uh, across every category, you're going to have to give things up. You just will. That's how that, that works. There will be limited resources in either time or in space or money or staffing. And what I see so oftentimes is people kind of, you know, it's like they're playing that game. Do you remember that game, Hungry Hippo? Do you remember, oh, yeah. you know, the ball comes out mm-hmm. and everyone tries to pull it into to their mm-hmm. side. And you see a bunch of, you know, pastors or leaders playing Hungry Hippo. It's how can I get as many of those balls uh, over here? And there's a real scarcity mindset and mm-hmm. I'm building my kingdom, territorial. I'm the most important person in the room. My area is the most important uh, at our church or organization. And then when it comes time, when they need someone else to flex, they're surprised that no one will meet them in the middle mm-hmm. or no one will put their plans on hold or give up their night or push their announcement later because they've they've kind of burned down all the goodwill and people wouldn't expect that to be reciprocated and so they won't give that to other people. It's just the human condition. We're not talking about whether it's right or wrong, whether Christ is honored or not. I've just seen that. Instead, there's people who flex all the time and when they have a need, they come up short in an area. People are so so excited to flex, to give, to even do something that would be difficult for them because they they know that person either has or will do the same for them. It will come back to you. You don't do this as a pragmatic move. 
Um, but it will come back to you and uh, it'd be a really good tell. Would people flex for me? Would they give up their thing for me? And then, you know, second, you talked about just kind of playing team ball, celebrating uh, other people. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like our staff is fantastic at this. John Elmore, yesterday I shared a little bit in staff prayer and I just got, you know, the fire emojis, some other, <laughs> you know, things. And that's just, it's just who, right. that's just yeah. who John is. Like who, he's so excited for whatever people are doing or whatever their wins are. And those are the people that you want on the team. So yeah. For sure. Talk about your thing, uh, whatever it is that you're proud of, that you're, you know, when you do your dailies, I'm proud of this work. But boy, celebrate, Mm -hmm. celebrate what other people are doing. I think a tenet of that is the realization that your ministry is not yours. Yes. Keep going. It's God's. And it's also, and and oftentimes your leadership is directing. And so if you think about your ministry as yours, Right. And of course, you are carrying forth your own ministry, but your ministry you're running is mine. It's my kingdom versus God's. It becomes a it comes much harder to give up control when you think about it as you are stewarding resources that God's entrusted to your church or your organization. And if your church or organization decides that resources should be allocated elsewhere, that is a good thing. Right. That's I think is an essential tenet to that, to playing team ball. It makes you more joyful when you have to give up resources if you understand, oh, I serve at the pleasure of my leadership and whatever they need me to do, I'm going to trust that that was well-informed and my ministry is not ultimately mine. I think it's really funny that you ended up with this point, you know, since you were the one that dashed all my hopes, dreams, and, you know, obliterated uh, my team with uh, with, a, with a recent breakup. Mm. And you're, you're, you're talking about playing team ball. And I feel like I've, I've had to do that. Oh, have you? With you. Yes. yes. For sure. Okay. Well, for those <laughs> for those that know, the communications team has gone back and forth between being part of John's team and being separate from John's team. And so we've actually had to volley back and forth. Resources, people, a lot. When you say volley though, I think what you meant was I took all the people and all the you know, all their computers and went to the other side of the floor. That's what you mean well, by that. Well, no, you got four people back. Listen. There's a lot of back after we were here. bleeding out after. OK, that's fair. Honestly, that's fair. <laughs> but I think the fact is that we've had to do this a lot. You and I have. Yes. And I think what's helped that is deep relational trust. We work together so much yeah. and we know we're both on the same team working towards the same goal that even hard conversations like, oh, we're, we're peeling off, you know, four people from your team, then my team, then back to your team. Yeah. That was difficult to metabolize, yeah. but we made it through. That's right. You know, actually, I was yeah bringing up as a as a cheap shot, but I'm actually proud of our church, our broader staff, and the way you and I and those close to us worked through that. Uh, mm-hmm. Eric Hasfurther, uh, who's been on the podcast before, uh, we stood in lots of whiteboards, you know, multiple times the last couple of years. Caitlin and just said, "Okay, tell me what's important to you. Uh, what's you know what's most important to you? What's most important to us? Uh, what are some creative solutions? You know, where can I give? Where can I flex?" And we did. I would say not to toot our own horn, but we played we played team ball as much as we could, and uh, that could have been a really contentious season. Mm-hmm. And instead, I'm sitting across the, yeah. the podcast, you know, studio with you, just laughing at your sweater. And uh, well, we're, we're friends. I mean, right? I shouldn't have worn it. Critical outfit error <laughs> as a callback to the last episode. You know, Good. we're fine. Okay, friend. Well, I'm glad to play team ball uh, with you. Absolutely. You, had, uh, you embody really, Caitlin. I thought about just pulling out something on each of these uh, about you. You're, you are a really, really important part of all that's good around here. Okay, friends. Well, we will put together these two episodes on PDF that you can look at, you can journal through, you can work through uh, with your team if you want to. And I would. I wouldn't try to do all of these. I would just think about, is there a way I can gain ground in one or two of these areas? So 
Friends, thank you for what you're doing. I'm positive. Whatever it is matters. It's important uh, to the kingdom of God. Keep going. Don't quit. Be excellent at your craft and take advantage of every opportunity that God's giving you. So if you have any questions, any comments, you can always reach us at clp at watermark.org. That's clp at watermark.org. We'll talk to you again next time. 